The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. We begin with stocks set to start off a new week, a bit under pressure as the Fed rate hike risk remains as strong as ever. Also, sounding the alarm, a new note from J.P. Morgan for all those investors that think the U.S. has avoided an economic downturn. And one year since the start of the Ukraine conflict, President Biden said to meet NATO allies after a surprise visit to Ukraine yesterday. We are live in Poland with the very latest on the situation. Plus, new insights into spending, the consumer and the supply chain as we await results from Walmart and Home Depot. And then later, the search for a missing CEO continues as speculation grows over his mysterious disappearance. It is Tuesday, February 21st, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland, your new host for Worldwide Exchange. Huge thank you to Brian Sullivan for all of his contributions to the show. You will see some changes around here, but one thing that will stay the same, we appreciate your time. We're going to work to make it worth your while. Also, we want to keep the conversation and the connection going with you on air, online, and of course on social media. You can follow the show on Twitter at CNBCWEX. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, both of them or Frank CNBC. Okay, time to get down to business. Let's kick off this hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. Right now, as you can see, they are in the red across the board right now. Bit of a strong, or excuse me, soft start to the morning so far. This after a long holiday weekend with a rough week for U.S. stocks, with the Dow posting its first three-week losing streak since September. The S&P 500 also slipping for its second down week in a row. The Nasdaq just barely able to hold on to gains. You see 0.6% gain on the week. We also want to check the bond market. The 10-year resuming its steady March higher, trading at its highest level since December. You can see right here the 10-year note trading at 3.86, basically 3.87, up about 50 basis points from its low in mid-January. We're also watching energy. Oil coming off a four-session losing streak as it remains below 80 bucks a barrel for WTI crude at 76 bucks a barrel. Brent crude at 83 bucks a barrel. We're seeing a slight move to the upside for WTI this morning. We're also watching crypto as we always do. Bitcoin adding to its sharper move higher in recent days. Now just below 25,000 down fractionally this morning. It coming above that 20,000 mark has been a big sign of confidence in cryptocurrency. Right now, again, we're seeing it just below 25,000 something to watch crypto. It trades around the clock. All right, let's get a check on the overnight action in Asia and the early trade over in Europe. Our Jamana Brissetti is standing by in our London newsroom with much more on that. Good morning, Jamana. Good morning to you, Frank, and congratulations on the show. Let's get to markets. Well, it is a bit of a risk-off day, despite the fact that we've had much better flash PMI data come in for the month of February. Eurozone aggregate flash PMI coming in at 52.3 versus 50.5 expectations, but the reaction is pretty negative today. UK also seeing better than expected PMI numbers coming in at 53, an improvement both in manufacturing and services. 
But the picture is quite negative, as you can see. The FTSE 100 trading below 8,000, dragged down by some of the mining names. Zetra DAX down four tenths of a percentage point, dragged down by autos. And then the CAC count also down similar amounts. But a couple of stocks that I just want to highlight for you. Number one, HSBC. The bank reported fourth quarter profit before tax of $5.2 billion. That is more than 100% higher than a year ago. Revenue also increased by 24% in the final quarter of the year. We saw a bit of a roller coaster trading session this morning. At one point, it was down, but now trading in the green on back of that revenue increase. So switching over to miners, the mining giant BHP has reported a 32% fall in the first half net profit on the back of weaker iron ore and copper prices. Revenue fell 16% to just under $26 billion. So you can see quite an adverse reaction today in trading down almost three percentage point, dragging down other names like Glencorn and Tafagasta as well. And then finally, switching over to telecoms, the Swedish telecoms company Ericsson has confirmed plans to cut 1,400 jobs in Sweden, citing slowing demand for 5G equipment in key markets, including the US. The cuts are part of a plan announced late last year to slash $880 million of cuts this year and further job cuts may be coming according to Reuters. So again, pretty, bit, bit of a negative reaction there. One of the names that is pulling down the DAX, but overall not a positive start to trading today, uh, Frank. Yeah, more job reductions in the tech sector, something we'll have to watch. Our Jumana Brissetti, live from London. Thanks, Jumana. Great to see you. All right, let's get a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Good morning, Silvana. Hey, Frank, good morning to you. Well, J.P. Morgan says investors that have turned too optimistic about the U.S. economic outlook are setting themselves up for disappointment. In a new note over the weekend, the bank says it is too early to take recession off the table, noting that monetary policy impact on an economy can lag up to two years. J.P. Morgan adding the first three months of this year will likely mark the high point for stocks in 2023. Amazon's sagging stock price is reportedly hitting the paychecks of the company's corporate workforce. According to the Wall Street Journal, the pay packages, which are heavily tied to restricted stock units, could be between 15 to 50 percent lower than Amazon's previous targets. In a statement, Amazon says its compensation model is intended to encourage employees to think like owners. And shares of Chinese investment bank Renaissance Holdings extending their losses as the whereouts of its CEO remain a mystery. While the search continues, executives in charge are reportedly telling employees to not believe any speculation or rumors. And while the reason for his disappearance remains unknown, Reuters notes the case does follow a series of similar incidents in which high-profile executives in China have gone missing, incidents that coincide with Beijing's recent crackdown on corporate corruption, Frank. Yeah, certainly something to watch. He's yeah. known as one of China's biggest deal makers. That's going to be a developing story. We'll keep an Savannah eye on it. Savannah Hanau, we're going to see you later on the show. Thank you. That's All right, turning our attention now to Russia's invasion of Ukraine as we approach one year since that conflict began. President Biden is in Poland this morning after a surprise visit to Ukraine yesterday. Biden meeting with President Vladimir Zelensky in Kiev to signal America's solidarity with Ukraine. Also announcing fresh aid to the war-torn country as in its fight to defeat Vladimir Putin and Russia's military. Steve Sedgwick joins us now from Warsaw, Poland. Steve, good morning. Great to see you as always. Please lay out the key focus for President Biden in meeting with NATO leaders there on the heels of that historic visit to Ukraine. 
Yeah, Frank, really good to see you today, by the way. And congratulations on, on, on the post taken over from Sully. I'm sure you did a fantastic job. Look, here in Warsaw, absolutely pivotal speech coming out a little bit later on. The lectern is set, the press are here. Uh, we're outside the Royal Castle, a very historical part uh, of downtown Warsaw as well. But as you say, uh, the, the historic um, surprise has already happened on this trip. And uh, after a very close veil of secrecy uh, at the White House as well, it turns out that he did finally make that trip uh, to Kiev. Uh, and it, what an important trip it was as well, as you say, underlining the support militarily, uh, diplomatically and economically uh, for Mr. Zelensky and the Ukrainian people just ahead of that one-year anniversary, which is due this Friday on the 24th as well. And I think the key point of, of this visit uh, and indeed the visit to Kiev as well is saying, look, the West is here for the long term. The United States is here for the long term because Putin's aims originally was a lightning victory in Ukraine to displace the government to take over in Kiev and make it pretty much a puppet state again, as it was in 2014 under Yanukovych before the Maidan uh, revolution as well. Uh, now, of course, it's a longer-term conflict in Luhansk, in Dubas, uh, in Kherson, in Zaporizhzhia as well, and of course with the annexed Crimea as well. And I think the key, key message from President Biden today will be, look, we are here for the long term, because I think the, the Russians, and listening to Mr Putin today, will be saying, well, if we can just erode the confidence of the West, if we can erode the support of the West, then Ukraine will be there for the taking and if they can create some form of frozen conflict over the longer term as indeed they have had already uh, in the east of that country then maybe that's a tactic and Mr Putin um, is saying that but Mr Biden today the president will perhaps be saying no you've miscalculated once again Vladimir Putin. Yeah so looking ahead more to President Biden's remarks who are those remarks who do you expect them to be aimed at again a historic visit to Ukraine during this conflict? And I think that, Frank, is the key question. Who is this speech uh, directed towards? I think it's directed to the nations of the world, the South, who aren't supporting the West at the moment. The likes of the Indians are still trading pretty well with, with the Russians. I think it's aimed at the Chinese, who've got their own trans-Pacific rivalries with the US, specifically looking at what the West is going to do here uh, with Ukraine to see whether there's an opportunity for the Chinese uh, in Taiwan as well. I think it's for NATO allies. You mentioned, and very importantly, they're meeting NATO allies here in Warsaw. Well, it's not all the NATO allies. It's the, the eastern flank, the Bucharest 9. It's the Romanians, the Bulgarians, the Slovakians, the Czechs, the Poles, the Hungarians, and the three Baltic nations as well. So it's to them as well saying, look, you have been the most hawkish on Russia, and we are here to support you. We have longer-term, more permanent support. And I think it's also key for a domestic United States audience, Frank. I think it's for Congress to say, look, we know there's support cross-party as well, but we need to shore up that support and make sure it's there for the medium to longer term, which of course will be more funded out of Congress. And I think it's for the American people as well, because as we know, Mr. Biden potentially eyeing a second term. This could outline a large amount of his foreign policy initiatives and what he's thinking on a geopolitical stance, if indeed he is to run for a second term, Frank. All right, a lot going on there, Steve. Before we let you go, you also mentioned that Vladimir Putin is speaking right now. What can you tell us about what he said? I think it's very interesting always listening to Vladimir Putin's view of world history and world events. He's right about one thing. And one thing he said today is that the West underestimated the Russian economy. And I think it's fair to say that you and I would have interviewed people a year ago who said, oh, the Russian economy, if we have embargoes against them, we have sanctions against their elites uh, and against their big companies as well. And now, of course, oil price caps, then the Russian economy is going to fall 20, 30 percent in 2022. Well, it didn't. It fell a few percent. And so I think that's one thing that Mr. Putin has got right. But, but it, one thing he's got very, very wrong is in, is, is in terms of how much support he sees 
uh, and Mr. Putin has said again, for the, of the West for Ukraine. And he sees this very much as a battle of Russia versus the West. And he's saying again today that it is the West that's undermate, underestimated Russia and it's the West that they're fighting in Ukraine rather than the fact that they've invaded Ukraine themselves and have destabilized the world. Also, Putin blaming world food shortages and inflation once again today, not on himself, not on their own grain embargoes uh, out of Ukraine, which is one of the bread baskets of the universe. Yep, you guessed it. He's blaming the West. All right, Steve Sedgwick, live in Warsaw, Poland. Great to see you as always, Steve. Thanks for having your finger on the pulse of this entire situation. All right, when we come back here on WEX, retail results are front and center with Walmart and Home Depot. Investors getting a closer look at consumer spending, fragile supply chains, and what's been a bit of a struggling sector. Plus, the CEO of Norfolk Southern back in Ohio over the weekend to monitor cleanup efforts following the devastating chemical spill there. But a new report is casting doubt over his good word to those affected. And later on in the show, mega cap tech on alert as the Supreme Court takes its first look at a law that's long protected that sector from legal harm. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Futures pointing towards a lower open as investors wait a fresh batch of earnings, economic data, and that includes minutes tomorrow from the Fed's latest meeting where it raised its benchmark rate by 25 basis points, growing concerns of more hawkish talk from voting Fed members that are pushing for more supersized rate hikes. For more on the rate hike risk, joining me now, Matt Orton, Raymond James Investment Management Chief Investment Strategist. Matt, great to have you on. Good morning. Great to see you, Frank. All right. So I think we got to start with the market action we're seeing today, Matt. Uh, futures down today. The Dow coming off a three-week slide. The S&P off a two-week slide. We are seeing rates on the rise. What are you expecting for the, from the action today and including tomorrow until we get those Fed minutes? I think this normalization process is going to continue for, for a little while longer. What we've had for such a long time has been a disconnect between what the Federal Reserve has been telling us very, very consistently, meaning rates are going to be higher for longer, and the market for a very long time just didn't believe what the Fed was saying. And so when we came into this year, we had a really nice rally in the equity markets, but fixed income has pretty sharply turned and pricing in what the Fed has been saying. Equities, on the other hand, have only started to do that. So the higher duration, lower quality parts of the market still have room to come down. All right. So I want to talk to you about riskier assets. Um, I want to investors have continued to have a lot of faith in these riskier assets. I think the poster child for it may be the ARK Innovation ETF up 30 percent year to date, far outperforming, even far outperforming in the month of February. where We've seen some stocks take a bit of a slide um, and that rise has been with rates rising about 50 basis points from their low in mid-January. 
How much longer do you see this trend continuing and what can stop this trend of risk on, as a lot of people call it, but just investors being interested and confident in higher risk assets? I think we're starting to see that change right now. It made sense when we started this year to have a change. Risky assets were really, really oversold heading into this year, but we've gone too far too fast. And so that's why when I talk to clients right now, the main message is don't chase the market higher. You know, the market needs to start rewarding fundamentals and the equity market needs to properly be pricing in Federal Reserve expectations before we can start to sustainably move higher. So when you have areas like low quality, you're having um, earnings revisions not being rewarded, you're having short interest being rewarded in the market, that's just not a really solid footing for the market. And so lean into what should be working right now. Even though we have a higher probability of a soft landing, you still want to own profitability. Valuations still matter. Free cash flow still matters in this market. And so you can still own some tech, just own higher quality tech. And if you want to be looking for an area to add risk in this market, what I've been advocating to clients is look to small cap equities. Small caps have so vastly underperformed the broader market for a very long time, and they finally have the opportunity for earnings expansion and margin expansion that's going to exceed that of large caps. So if there's an area from a valuation perspective, I think small makes a lot of sense. All right. This is Worldwide Exchange. We mostly focus on the U.S. markets, but I want to talk the global markets for a second. You're very bullish on the European stocks, specifically the SXXP that tracks the top stocks in Europe. Why are you switching your focus to Europe in particular? So when you look at value and you're trying to find value in the market, Europe definitely is a much higher value built market than the U.S. And it's lagged the U.S. for a longer time. And so within Europe, I don't like the entire market. I think some areas have gone too far too fast. But one area within European equities that I think looks very, very interesting are European banks. They have vastly lagged the broader market and European markets for really the better part of a decade. And what you're finally seeing with rates moving higher and really real rates moving higher, European banks have been posting really good quarterly profits, increasing their guidance moving forward, and they're a larger weight within the index. So if you're looking overseas, if you want to get some higher quality value exposure, I'd say give European banks in particular a much closer look because I think there are opportunities there. All right, Matt Orton of Raymond James. Appreciate the insight. Thank you for being here. Thank All right, you. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, President Biden said to meet with NATO allies in Warsaw this morning following that surprise visit to Kiev yesterday. We are live on the ground with the latest, and we're back right after this. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Walmart and Home Depot kicking off a busy week for retail earnings as investors look for insight into the health of the consumer with names like Macy's and Lululemon warning of weaker sales and margins during the holiday season. Let's talk much more about retail's big week ahead with Jerome Martis, Director of Consumer Research at Refinitiv. Jerome, always great to see you. Good morning, Frank. All right, Jerome, I got to kick this off with the big report coming before the bell 
Walmart. Uh, report coming up later today. So one thing I want to look at in particular is the refinitive estimate of same-store sales coming in at 4.6% here in the U.S. That's compared to 8.2% growth last quarter. That's a pretty big slowdown in growth. Now, is this a Walmart-specific story or is this retail in general when it comes to same-store sales? So what's interesting is that analysts pulled by refinitive have actually increased that um, estimate as the quarter progressed in a time when they've actually been lowering for a lot of the other retailers. And this is mainly because of that shift that we've been seeing from consumers moving from discretionary to staples. And they believe that groceries is going to be a big winner today for Walmart. And it's going to help push those. Um, okay. Um, a lot more retail earnings we do want to talk about with you, Jerome. We're having some audio issues right now, some tech issues. We're trying to get we're going to try to get you back on the show. Hopefully we can resolve those. But for now, let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Philip Menem. He's in New York with the very latest. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Frank. Good morning. Uh, two weeks after the massive quake that killed nearly 45,000 people, a new powerful earthquake struck Turkey and Syria. The latest 6.3 magnitude quake killed at least three people and injured more than 200 in Turkey. The only remaining hospital in Hatay had to be evacuated. And according to the Syrian civil defense, around 190 people were hurt in Syria. Surge crews once again surveying the damage and looking for survivors trapped in the rubble. Prosecutors have downgraded the involuntary manslaughter charge faced by Alec Baldwin in the fatal shooting of cinematographer Helena Hutchins on the set of the film Rust in 2021. In court filings made public Monday, New Mexico First Judicial District Attorney Mary Carmack Altuis dropped the firearm enhancement included in the charge against Baldwin, which was punishable by a mandatory sentence of five years in prison, according to prosecutors. This decision ensures that Baldwin will only face a maximum of 18 months in jail if convicted. Finally, Brooklyn is saying, see you later, alligator. Maintenance staff had to do a double take after spotting a four-foot gator at a lake in a local park. It's unknown how it ended up there, but now it is recovering from the cold at the Bronx Zoo. Officials are still on the hunt for the person that left that gator at a public park. Some sight there. Frank? Back to you. <laughs> yeah, just about anything can happen in New York City. Philip Menno, <laughs> we appreciate it. Got it. All right, so to come, and an, uh, an unopened original iPhone sells for some very big bucks. Families may have a new reason to choose United for the next getaway. And a gigantic debut for the new Ant-Man movie. I saw it myself this weekend. Pretty good movie. Your top trending stories, they're ahead. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. Stay with us. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in New York, and we're just getting started on WEX. Here is what's still on deck. Investors hoping to get back gains. They're back on track after the Dow Post's third straight week of losses, but futures, they're lower this morning. President Biden making a historic surprise visit to Ukraine as it marks one year of Russia's invasion. We're live on the ground in Europe as the president now works to rally the allies in that region. And the Supreme Court set to take up key cases that could decide the future of the Internet and some of tech's biggest players. It is Tuesday, February 21st. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back. I'm Frank Holland, your new host for Worldwide Exchange. You're going to see a few changes around here, but one thing will stay the same. We appreciate your time, and we're going to work to make it worth your while. Also, we want to keep the conversation and connection going with you on air, online, and, of course, on social media. You can follow the show on Twitter at CNBCWEX, or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, both at FrankCNBC. 
All right, let's pick up the half an hour now with the check on the trading down. How it's shaping up after that long holiday weekend. Futures right now, you can see they are in the red. The S&P and the Dow down about a half a percent. The Nasdaq, the hardest hit, down almost a percent in the very early trade. Stocks coming off a bit of a mixed week with the Dow posting its first three-week losing streak since September. The S&P 500 also slipping down for two weeks in a row. The Nasdaq just barely, just barely to hold on to gains. You can see it was up about 0.6% last week. We also want to turn our attention to the bond market and watching the continued rebound by Treasuries. The 10-year note right now at 3.88. That's about 50 basis points higher than it was during its mid-January low. We also want to hit oil. WTI and Brent coming off their third negative week in the last four. Right now, we see WTI below that 80 bucks a barrel mark up almost a percent this morning. Brent crude at about 84 bucks a barrel, almost down fractionally right now. Let's also get a check on some of the morning's top stories. Silvana Hanau, she's back with those. Good morning again, Silvana. Hey, Frank. Good morning again. I'm back. All right, let's start with the Supreme Court because it's slated to take up to two cases this week tackling big tech and its content moderation, the lawsuits. One against Google and one against Twitter will focus on Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. That federal law says tech platforms aren't liable for what their users choose to post. The lawsuits will argue that while tech companies may not be liable for the content of users post, they should be liable for what their algorithms promote or suggest. The head of the EPA is set to return to East Palestine, Ohio today to meet with residents and local officials on the recovery from the uh, trail derailment and devastating chemical spill. Now, today's visit follows one by the CEO of the company that operated the train carrying those chemicals. Norfolk Southern over the weekend. Now, Alan Shaw meeting with people in that community, promising the company is, quote, here to stay until the area is, quote, made whole from the disaster. But according to The Washington Post, three months before the derailment, Shaw visited D.C. to lobby against proposed safety rules to potentially prevent derailments and other emergencies. We'll hear more from Alan Shaw in a first on CNBC interview today at 4 p.m. Eastern. And the Japanese subsidiary of FTX becoming the first of the group's businesses to return money to clients. The arm of the failed crypto exchange began allowing customers to withdraw funds overnight. FTX Japan says it may need time to process withdrawals if a large number of requests flow in from customers, Frank. Savannah, thank you very much for those headlines. Great to see you as always. All right, turning our attention now to Russia's invasion of Ukraine as we approach the conflict's one-year mark. President Biden in Poland this morning meeting with leaders after yesterday's surprise visit to Ukraine just days before the milestone. Biden's meeting with Ukraine's president, Vladimir Zelensky, is seen as a sign of solidarity and announcing new assistance from the U.S. to help its fight against Vladimir Putin. NBC News' Jay Gray joins us now from Poland along the border of Ukraine with more on that historic visit by President Biden. Good morning, Jay. Hey, good morning, Frank. We're in Przemysl train station, just a few miles from the Poland-Ukraine border, and it is the first stop for so many refugees that escaped the fighting in Ukraine and rush into Poland. Still 20,000 or so a day. When I was here almost a year ago, it was so crowded you couldn't make it from the front door back to the tracks, back to the loading platform. Obviously, that's changed a bit. It comes in waves now. There's more of a regular train system. It wasn't in this public area, but this is the same station that President Biden used to 
get onto the train, take the 10-hour trip to Kiev, and then come back and offload it here as well, obviously in a very separate and very secure area. Today, he is back in Warsaw. He will meet this morning with President Duda and, and spend some time discussing what he can do to help with the refugee crisis. And then he will later today uh, engage in a speech where he is expected to talk about uh, a lot of what he's going to offer to Ukraine uh, by the way of weapons, uh, support, uh, radar support, we are told, to help with the continuing rockets and missiles that are being launched into the area. And also, we are told, make a direct uh, appeal to the Russian people. That, of course, coming on a day when President Vladimir Putin in Russia just finished uh, his national address discussing the war in Ukraine, Frank. Jay Gray, live in Poland. Thank you for that latest report ahead of this historic milestone. Thank you again. All right, for more on the invasion of Ukraine, where things stand one year in and where this conflict may head next, let's welcome in retired Army Lieutenant General Steph Twitty. He's the former commander of the U.S. European Command and a military analyst for NBC News and MSNBC. Lieutenant General, great to have you here. Good to be here, Frank. All right, I think we've got to follow the news here with you, Lieutenant General. President Biden making a visit to Ukraine, being called historic. The president obviously visiting an active war zone. What does that say about where this conflict is today? Well, it's certainly unprecedented and gutsy for the leader of the free world, our president, to go to Ukraine, given that uh, it is not a U.S. war zone and no U.S. forces here. But what it really says and the impact that it has is that the U.S. will stand firm with Ukraine through the end of this. It sends a message to Putin that you won't win. And it sends a message to our NATO allies that we will continue to stand ironclad with NATO, the 30 countries that make up NATO, we're part of that 30, plus the two that's coming on board in Finland and Sweden. All right, you mentioned NATO several times. Let's just take a step back. In this last year during this conflict, what have we learned about Ukraine, Russia, and the NATO alliance? Well, we learned a couple of things. Number one, Russia is not 10 feet tall and their military is incapable and incompetent. They've tried to take Kyiv. That failed on them. They tried to take the south and the southeast of Ukraine. That failed on them. And what we're continue to see is they cannot get their act together to become victorious in this war. What we see with the Ukrainians, their courage, their will, their ability to fight for their homeland, it's just phenomenal to be able to see an impressive country fight the way that they have fought. And what we've seen in NATO is a united NATO, uh, NATO ironclad in the fight against uh, Ukraine, and they're all pulling behind Ukraine, providing the necessary equipment that they need to be successful in this war. All right, Lieutenant General, we're mostly focused on investing here on CNBC. The war in Ukraine has had some big macroeconomic impacts um, to the supply chain, commodity prices. It's also led some multinational companies to pull their operations out of that region, more specifically Russia. Um, What can we expect when we look at this from a market aspect when it comes to, you know, Ukraine being the breadbasket of Europe, commodities that come out of there? What are you expecting? I know your, most of your expertise are military, but what can, can we expect as investors going forward? And is there an end to this conflict in sight? Yeah, I think we need to be prepared for a protracted war here. As you can see, this war has gone on for a year and we're still at uh, no resolution. 
In order for this war to stop, one or two things have to happen. Number one, negotiations have to begin. And there is no one negotiating at this point in time. So that is not going to stop it if we don't get negotiations. And number two is there has to be a successful winner. And right now, this, there's this grind back and forth. And so no successful uh, winner at this point in the game. And so for investors, we got to be prepared for the long term uh, that there will be fighting in Ukraine for quite some time. All right, Lieutenant General Steph Twitty, hoping we're going to have you back on soon to say that this conflict is over. But we're going to definitely keep you on speed dial for future insight. Appreciate you being here. Thanks, Frank. All right, coming up, a new warning for investors why J.P. Morgan says market bulls may be setting themselves up for some disappointment. But first, as we had to break some of your top trending stories, United Airlines launching new tech that will open more seats on its flights for kids to sit with an adult without paying a fee. That charge has drawn scrutiny from the Biden administration. The change will be in full effect for travelers with standard and basic economy tickets starting next month. Marvel's Ant-Man and Wasp sequel scoring $104 million at the domestic box office in its opening weekend. I went to see it. That's nearly double with the first Ant-Man film that opened up back in 2015, the debut marking the 31st consecutive Marvel release to open up at number one domestically and making it the third highest grossing film worldwide here in 2023. And an unopened first-generation iPhone sold for more than 63000 bucks at an auction this week, over 100 times its original price of 599 bucks back in 2007. Bidding for the device, which was estimated to go for at least $50,000, began at $2,500. Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We want to turn back to retail earnings and results from Walmart and Home Depot coming up later today. Walmart results in just over an hour. I want to bring back in Jerome Artis, Director of Consumer Research at Refinitiv. We had some tech problems, Jerome. Glad to have you back. Let's just jump right into it. I asked you about Walmart. I don't think everybody heard your answer. Um, Your estimate for same-store sales, 4.6% for this quarter. That's here in the U.S. compared to 8.2% last quarter. What's leading to this deceleration of growth? And is this just a Walmart story or is it a broader retail story? It's definitely a broader retail story as we've seen that consumers have moving away from discretionary spending and have been sticking to staples. And what's interesting about Walmart is that in a time when analysts have been actually lowering their estimates for the bulk of retailers, They've actually been raising estimates for Walmart as the quarter has been progressing. And this is mainly because they're bullish on the fact that grocery sales is going to help offset a lot of that weakness that we're seeing in discretionary um, spending. Also, analysts pulled by Refinitiv are very bullish on the fact that Walmart still has room to grow and can still gain market share from the high-end and low-end consumers as they continue to look for everyday value. And e-commerce is also expected to be solid. Um, We're expected to see double-digit growth there at about 6.3%. So overall, we're expecting a a good day for Walmart. All right, Walmart's the big one this week, but we have a number of other retail earnings. Home Depot also later today, TJX on Wednesday, along with eBay. Very different businesses. But is there one theme or maybe one metric we should look for in each one of them to kind of judge how these results are really uh, resonating with investors and how the companies really look? Well, we've been receiving a lot of negative guidance. In fact, fact, retailers are warning us not to expect too much from them already for the first quarter. For every positive guidance that we've received, we've received seven negative. And this is mainly around the inflation. Um, this is the word that we're hearing overall in most of the retail, retail, retail earnings calls. In fact, about to date, 103 retailers have reported earnings and 75 have been reporting um, inflation worries during their earnings call. We're keeping a close eye on inventory levels, 
gross margins, especially because promotions were very high in the month of January. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's what actually boosted January retail sales last week when the government reported those numbers. Um, retailers have been raising those discounts to higher levels than what we've seen in over a year. And as a result, we're going to keep, keep keeping a close eye on gross margins to see how those promotions affected earnings as they try to move that inventory during the holiday season. So, Jerry, I want to keep going with this thread of discounting. You actually gave us some great statistics about discounting actually accelerating after the holiday season into January. Um, give us a sense. Is that in response to inflation or is that just in response to these retailers having too much inventory? Why such deep discounts? The discounts were in order to lure those shoppers in. For a very long time, we've been talking about the death of the department store, and it was the department stores who posted the strongest numbers um, in the month of January. This is because they became very promotional to lure those shoppers in, and it worked. In a collaboration with Centric Pricing, Refinitiv discovered that the average promotion rose to over 40%, the highest level we've seen in over a year. And it worked. Those shoppers came in, and as a result, we saw a strong January Seamster sales. It also underlines the importance of the value proposition to the consumer right now. Unless they find a good discount, they're not going to open up their wallets. It's, it's important enough to have that. And that's why Walmart is poised to be one of the biggest winners um, this week for, for retail sales. All right, we're looking at this week, but really quick before we let you go, we were just showing the Target chart just a second ago. Target comes up next week. What are you expecting from them? Similar to Walmart, but not as big of a grocery business. That is correct. So when we think about Target, we think more of discretionary spending. That's where consumers go more for those items. And, and, and right now we're seeing that shift in consumers that they are sticking to staples and grocery sales, uh, grocery prices have gone up. So and so as a result, in order to save money, we're seeing that Walmart is better poised than Target, especially this, this season. And we're, we're also expected to see a lot okay. of promotions at Target in order to move um, a lot of that inventory. So probably not as good as Walmart's numbers of today. Yeah, so basically, consumers love discounts. I don't know if investors love discounts as much. Could hit margins. Jerome Martis of Refinitiv, great to have you on. Great to see you as always. All right, as we had to break here on Worldwide Exchange, we're celebrating Black Heritage during February with some of our CNBC teammates, contributors, and business leaders. Here is Earn Your Leisure founders, Troy Millings and Rashad Bilal. Our culture has been the catalyst for everything Earn Your Leisure has done. That's why we've been so super intentional. From the way we dress, to the way we talk, to the way our message is delivered. Our success has been extremely humble and we have gained worldwide support, but we never forget that we stand on the shoulders of our forefathers and our goal is to leave a legacy for generations to come. All right, welcome back. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. Meta Platforms is launching a premium paid subscription service for Instagram and for Facebook. It'll cost 11 bucks a month or $14.99 a month if purchased through the Apple App Store. Swedish telecoms giant Ericsson joining the big tech layoff wave, saying it'll cut around 1,400 jobs. Those layoffs are part of a plan to reduce costs by $860 million by the end of this year. Amazon sagging stock price is reportedly hitting the paychecks of the company's corporate workforce, according to the Wall Street Journal. The pay packages, which are heavily tied to restricted stock units, could be between 15 to 50 percent lower than Amazon's pre- previous targets. Shares of Chinese investment bank Renaissance Holdings extending their losses as the whereabouts of its CEO remain a bit of a mystery. While the search continues, executives in charge are reportedly telling employees not to believe any speculation or any rumors. Microsoft President Brad Smith is in Brussels today to make the case for his company's nearly $70 billion bid for Activision Blizzard. 
Reuters reporting Smith will lead a delegation of 18 senior executives, including Microsoft Gaming Chief Executive Officer Philip Spencer, while Activision will be represented by its CEO, Robert Kotick. And Chinese fintech giant Ant Group and the NBA entering a strategic partnership that would give, in part, all Alipay users access to all of the league's video content. The deal extends to other areas, including marketing and digital collectibles. All right. A busy week on deck for investors watching out for earnings from Home Depot, Walmart and Coinbase today, as well as several key economic data points. Tomorrow, we get earnings from Baidu and NVIDIA, as well as Bumble, among others, along with minutes from the latest Federal Reserve meeting. Then on Thursday, earnings roll on with Alibaba, Beyond Meat, Block and Bookings Holding. We also get initial jobless claims and real GDP. And then to round out the week with personal income and new home sales data on Friday, along with a little Fed speak from Loretta Mester, Susan Collins, Christopher Waller, and Philip Jefferson. So a pretty busy week ahead. All right, stocks have rallied this year, largely on hopes for a Fed pivot, but J.P. Morgan says investors, they may be setting themselves up for a bit of disappointment. And a note out yesterday, the bank says stocks historically don't bottom before the Fed stops hiking rates, and it's too early to say whether recession is off the table. J.P. Morgan says the first quarter will likely mark the high point for the markets this year, according to warning signs from from key indicators such as the inverted yield curve and money supply moving lower in the U.S. and in Europe. Let's talk much more about this now with Sylvia Jablonski, CEO and CIO of Defiance ETFs and Greg Branch, managing partner at Veritas Financial Group and, of course, a CNBC contributor. Sylvia and Greg, great to have you both here. Good morning. Great to be here. All right. First, I just want to ask you really quick, what do you think about what we're seeing in the market, Sylvia? Um, The Dow coming off a three-week slide, the S&P coming off a two-week slide, and now we're seeing futures in the red. Yeah, I think, you know, we started the year strong. So January was a great month for markets. And I think part of that was that investors had a little bit of, you know, appetite to come back into the market to take on some risk and, and started thinking that Fed might be closer to being finished than then, you know, starting and it might be time to sort of look through and, and see how it all holds up. So it turns out that earnings are holding up OK. They're a little ho-hum, but they are, you know, sort of stable. But some of the inflation reads are coming in a little bit hot. So you had CPI, PPI come in a little bit hotter. And I think that that now brings us back into the, the reality that the Fed might have to hike um, for a little bit longer and stay a little bit higher than expected. But my view on this is that nothing has really changed. They've been telling us this all along. So the short-term gyrations, the sideways volatility, it's expected because the market keeps reacting to news. But for long-term investors, it still is an okay time to look through if you have longer holding periods out you know, beyond 2024, 2025 to scoop up some of the quality names out there. So, Greg, similar question for you. Have we hit an inflection point in the market? And do you think finally investors have given up these hopes of a pause or a pivot? I do not think we're in an inflection point by any means, Frank. Uh, and I agree with one thing Sylvia said, I disagree with the other. Um, I, I agree with the fact that the market has not necessarily been listening to the Fed. The Fed has been talking and they've been telling us that their plan is to get uh, unemployment up to probably a 4.5% level because that is what will curtail services inflation. I don't think the market's listened to that. It certainly wouldn't be at these levels, and I agree with JP Morgan that we've probably seen the highs of the year. The Fed cannot pause at a 5% terminal rate at this juncture. That's 50 basis points away. Unemployment's at 3.4%, in fact, less than when we started the cycle. And so you got to believe either one of two things. Either the Fed's going to change their inflation mandate and no longer be focused on a 2% long-term sustainable rate and say maybe 4 is okay and maybe 3 is okay. Or you believe that these last 50 basis points are a magic panacea that's going to (laughs) cure all. Or you believe that they're going to have to do more. And, I, you know, I've long said, Frank, that it's probably a 6% rate that we're looking for, maybe more. 
And I don't think the market's prepared for that. Fed funds futures right now are discounting slightly better chance of 50 basis points followed by 25 and then okay. a Fed pause. I don't think that that's realistic at this juncture. So I'm looking for the market, the equity markets to go down from here as they are surprised by what the Fed has been telling us all along. And yields actually need to come okay. up. Yields are too low right now. We started to see some so of that great. happen last week. I want to push back on you. We're just showing a graphic. You believe the rate could get up to 6.5%. You do manage money. I'm assuming some of your yep. market's going to remain in the money, even if it goes up that high. What sectors and are there any stocks that you feel confident in in this environment? So if you need exposure, you, what you want to look for are sectors with relative safety. And by relative safety, I mean that in a deteriorating macro environment, Demand is inelastic and it won't affect their top lines as much. And at the end of the day, we want to look for things that will profit off of higher interest rates. Financials are, are a great example of this. We saw HSBC in an improving net interest margin environment double profit. The, most of the bank's profit is driven by that, that net interest income. And so in an environment that will improve for net interest income prospects, financials are a great thing to look at. Credit cards are a great thing to look at. We saw record applications, record new openings. Uh, last year, every quarter, at okay. historic average highs on average per annual percentage rate, that is great for the credit card companies. And okay. we saw that last quarter, where they all put in double-digit top-line growth and double-digit earnings growth. Right, we'll and projected that. that throughout the year. We'll definitely have to watch that, Sylvia. I want to come Sorry. over to you. You also gave us some picks. Um, one of the ones I'm really uh, interested in here is the QTUM ETF. It's the Next Generation Quantum Computing and Machine Learning ETF. Hearing so much about AI and automation, is that what makes you so bullish about this ETF? Yeah, absolutely. So this is the AI and machine learning ETF. We, we saw the impact of the Microsoft investment into open AI and, and what it sort of did to the market and semiconductor stocks and whatnot. So we know AI is going to change the future. It's going to change the medical world, defense, you know, banking, getting that right credit score, um, the healthcare system, driverless cars. It touches just about everything that we do in our lives. And I think we're only at the beginning of this. But the great thing about this is, unlike the metaverse, it's proven to now be tangible and real. And while there are quirks, companies can actually invest in it and they can use it already in terms of things like customer service, which are already quantifiable. So I think it's really going to be the trade of the next couple of years in terms of innovation and technology. All right, really quick before we go, I want to get to your other pick, the CRUZ ETF. It's the hotel, airline, and cruise ETF. Do you believe that inflation isn't hurting the consumer and people are going to continue to spend on travel and leisure? So people are spending on travel and leisure. This could change if there's a big recession, but in the short term, you know, we're hearing it from every airline CEO. The bookings are up. Demand okay. is about 85% of what it was pre-COVID. Um, you know, the cruise ships, hotels, and, and airlines are, are really holding up. They have pricing power, and they've been benefiting from a spending consumer and from that spending going from goods to services. All right, we're going to have to leave the conversation there. Sylvia and Greg, great to have you both on today. We appreciate the insight, as always. All right, as, Thanks, as we wrap Henry. up Worldwide Exchange, we're going to take one more look at the futures. Futures in the red this morning following the Dow on a three-week slide, the S&P on a two-week slide. The Nasdaq just barely eked out a 0.6% gain last week, something to watch as we enter this new trading week. And that's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.